I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. This podcast discusses distressing topics involving murder. Listener discretion is advised. Also a reminder that everyone named in this podcast is to be assumed innocent until proven otherwise in a court of law. On the last episode of Guilt. And they were side by side really close just standing there looking out and I don't know if it was at a time I definitely wasn't her husband because I remember her husband because of the hair, you know. Yeah. Um, and you know, I felt sick to this day, but I did go to the police 20 years later and I kind of felt fobbed off by them. Um, sadly, sadly, 100% it was her. Basically, I come across the car probably just after that guy had been killed camera equipment was on the back seat it was sitting there like somebody the keys were in the ignition oh, the keys were in it the keys were in the car yeah. yeah I think I was being watched yeah and he would just search for years walking all the tracks going off the tracks it just, um, it can just consume them. I was the last one that probably ever saw them alive, and I, I've never told anybody. They've obviously been digging, and I've just pulled a bone out. There's a piece of bone right here. From Brevity Studios, I'm Ryan Wolf, and this is guilt. We've been on a hell of a journey in this season of guilt. But before we start on these final four episodes, I want to thank you for all your support. In terms of downloads, it's by far the biggest season yet and has truly cemented guilt as a podcast to be reckoned with in Australasia. And with this comes the ability for me to use this platform to spread the word about these cases and truly, truly make a difference. And each and every one of you listening and subscribing are a part of that. It really is you 
that makes this possible. Due to the importance of the witness testimony included in this and the remaining episodes, I've decided to release episodes 12 to 15 at the same time today on September 18th, 2023. So they are available right now for subscribers of the podcast. You can access the remaining episodes and what I believe is one of the most important developments in New Zealand criminal history by clicking subscribe on Apple Podcasts through your app or for non-Apple users, you can subscribe via Acast+. You'll find the link in the description of this episode. For non-subscribers, the remaining episodes will be released free every Monday as usual. Okay, now let's get into it. Okay, it is 4.30. It's a horrible day, windy, rainy, just just rough, super windy. And I've just jumped in the car and I feel like I keep saying this or thinking this, but I'm heading to what could be the biggest interview of my podcast career. You know, not so long ago I spoke to Barry and he said to me that he was the last person to see Heidi and Urban alive. Well now I'm heading to an interview of someone else who says that no, he was. And based on what he's told me briefly on the phone, that could be the case. Barry's sighting could have happened in the minutes and hours before this sighting. But the difference is, this sighting is much more detailed and this guy tells me that he knows who killed Heidi and Urban and he's going to tell me all about it. You know, it's crazy stuff and I don't really know what to make of it yet I only spoke to him for about five minutes on the phone but yeah here we go down the rabbit hole again but the thing is this guy does have a connection to this case he's not just a random person off the street that had a dream and you're about to hear that Yeah, I'm Darren Old. Um, yeah, 1989. I was. Um, I think I just come back from Machuaika. Yeah. Um, I've been down there fruit picking and came back into Wongamata. My mother um, currently lived here at that time. You've heard from Darren Old before, but this time, we're talking about something much more serious. What he's come forward to tell me could quite simply be one of the most important pieces of witness testimony in New Zealand criminal history. When we sit down to speak about what he saw, he's nervous. A change in the supremely confident man I spoke to on the phone. This is the real deal. And the implications are massive. Um, and during this time of no- 1989, um, I called in to the, 
uh, Turner Farm on the Wangamataa Road um, where I seen these Swedish tourists in the company of David Turner um, at the time, David and James Turner yeah. and Donald Turner were present there um, taking a number plate off a White Sparrow station wagon where there were two White Sparrow station wagons present and Donald had the back number plate off one of those. Yeah, we went, I went to that house that day to score some pot. Um, we used to get pot from there. And um, while I was up there, this is what I seen, was um, Urban and Heidi Parkin and, and the presidents of um, David Jones and Donald Turner. Um, Donald, when I drove up there, was taking number plates off a White Sparrow station wagon. And David had um, Heidi Parkin by the elbow just coming out of the batch, two or three metres out of the batch, had her by the elbow, I looked right at her from three or four metres away. She looked petrified. Um, Dave carried on walking to the main house and I carried on inside, walk up the steps to the batch. And there was James and Urban Hoglin, the redhead, was sitting in the corner of that room looking at the ground. Um, I was none aware of who these people were until two years later in 91, approximately October 91. Um, me and my friend Jamie Corbin were hunting up out of Whangamata, six kilometres off the main road from Whangamata in the Prakawai Valley area when um, we came out at night time taking a shortcut and stumbled across a body which we now believe to be that of um, Urban Hogland, up in the back lawn of of the farm, where I seen these two people alive two years prior to that. Um, so, so when you found that body, obviously you come in and, and we've already spoken with you and Jamie up there. Um, yeah. So then the bit we didn't talk about in that episode was what happened then. So yeah. you know, at that point, I think the word gets out that you guys have found the body. And yeah. Thing, you guys are up there with the cops. Yeah. Then they drag you in. Tell yeah. me about that process of when they brought you guys in and what happened. Yeah, the scenario back at the police station where we were taken in for into the police station um, for questioning and that, and um, I started to tell the, the police officers involved in this case um, about what I'd seen um, on this farm where the body was found just behind and the, the police's reply was, we don't want to know, we have our man. So at that stage, um, they didn't want to know about any information coming forward, any new information coming forward. They were quite adamant that, you know, they had the case sewn up, so uh, we didn't say any more. Right now, your mind is probably racing. And so it should be. And I won't take you away from this interview for long. But let's just make sure you're 100% clear on the location of this sighting. We've spoken a lot about Parakawai and the forest where Urban's body was discovered by Darren and Jamie in 1991. What we haven't spoken about is the property that runs right up to that forest. Today, as it was then, this farm is owned by the local Taikato family. It runs in a long block from the main road into Whangamata all the way back. 
running adjacent to Parakawai Quarry Road until it eventually butts with the forest where Urban's body was discovered. In 1989, all of this area was basically just farmland. There were no houses like today. But at the top of this farm, near the main road, was the Taikato homestead. And it was here that Darren alleges he drove in one day in April of 1989 and saw Heidi Parkinen, petrified, being held by David Turner and Urban Hoglin with his head down in the corner of the cabin while James Turner stood over him. Outside, the third brother, Donald Turner, was changing the license plates on what he believes were two matching white Subaru station wagons. The distance from this house to Barry's sighting, 470 metres. The distance from this house to where Urban's body would be discovered, 2.8 kilometres. So just to be clear, so they've brought you into the police station. Yeah. You know, naturally they're going to question you guys, you found yeah. the body, they bring you in. Um, and, you know, at that point you sort of did you come in and they showed you photos and you realised like, oh shit. Yeah. And it, I think you've said to me before, it's sort of like suddenly it clicked it. Yeah. When you were showing those photos that what you yeah. saw those couple of years ago. Yeah. So yeah, so is that, is that about right, what happened? Yeah, that's right. Like um, when we got in there and seen all these photos and that, the penny dropped that these are clearly the people that I'd seen at the Taikato farm in the presence of Donald Jones and um, Dave Turner yeah. at that time. Um, and when, after you saw Heidi and, and Urban that day with, with the brothers, um, so that was so that was um, obviously April '89. Yeah. In that couple of years before you found the body, were you aware of the case of the Swedes and what was going on and all that sort of stuff? Yeah, no, nothing. I wasn't really aware of the Swedish case until wasn't brought to my attention until I found the body. Like we weren't aware of it. It's as simple as that, you know. We're quite a pretty quiet town here in Wangamata. Yeah. Um, yeah, we just simply weren't aware of it it's hard for people to understand but you know Wangamata it's a bit bigger now but yeah. back then it was a lot smaller I mean yeah. it's like in a way you were kind of like um, you were bush guys really eh? like, yeah um, there's no internet there's no yeah there's no nothing you know we had was rugby field in the ocean in the bush those were our that's all we had here in Wangamata yeah. Um, yeah describe when you um, when you came in that day you know you go to pick up some weed so you come into the driveway, and like, yeah, how? What was the order? How it went? You got out of the car. Yeah, but I just drove up the driveway, going onto the Taikato old homestead, to Pat's place. Um, drove up there, uh, pulled up. The two white Subaru station wagons were slightly to the left of me, both noses facing the house. Um, and Donald was standing there, taking the number plate off one of them, the one closest to me. Um, that was all I, I saw and when I asked him what he's doing he goes I'm doing an insurance job for Gary Spinks so I didn't think any much more of it you know it was a common thing back in those days um, yeah yeah and then so 
So then you just you're going to go up to so at the main house there's a house and then there's sort of like a cabin a bat, to the side. Yeah, there's a batch in the cabin and that's where um, the boys were. That's where the boys were. We, I didn't get into the main house. That was that was Pat Tokido's house and yeah, just yeah. yeah. Well, who would you normally buy the weed off? I uh, normally buy the weed off either Don or Dave or James, one of the boys. Oh, just one yeah, of them. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so yeah, so then you're walking up to the cabin. And just as you go to get up, did you say Dave comes out? Yeah, Dave came out. Like I must have spoke to him. Like there was a metal driveway. So what I got a, you know, a little bit of a jump on me. They were a bit coming up the metal driveway. So he, as I got out of my car, Dave's coming out of the batch, and um, Donald's right there. Um, and Dave had the. Um, Heidi Parker him by the elbow and she's looking really scared like I looked at her from three or four metres away and she looked petrified. Um, yeah. Um, I was being none there where, you know, I was none the wiser at the time to who that was at that time because it wasn't brought to my attention back then, you know, it wasn't. Yeah. 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 How old were you at that time? Uh, I was approximately um, 18, 19 years old. And how old were David time. and James, roughly? Uh, James and Dave would have been a good solid 10 years older than me, easy, yeah. Yeah. And they were pretty yeah. well known as scary motherfuckers. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Yeah, we all got knowledge in the town. Um, but, yeah. So then you, you see Heidi there. Um, and when you said she looked petrified, like, did it look like whatever's happening had already been happening for a while or yeah I just I just recall the look on her face you know when I looked at her it was like she was petrified like um like she'd just seen a ghost or something you know like she was scared yeah 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 and then when you go in and did you say like Urban's in the corner yeah Urban's over in the right hand corner and he was just looking at the ground just sitting there like when he was sitting on like a nail box or some type of box like that just looking at the ground he didn't look at me which I thought was unusual. Yeah, I was a little bit curious because of the way Dave was, like how he just walked away and he had that girl by the elbow. And then when I walked in there, James was just sitting there just looking at me and I was like, oh, bro, you got any deck? And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. yeah. Because of who these people were, um, there's going to be people that are going to say, why didn't you go to the police? Yeah. What would be your response to that? Well... I wasn't aware there was anything wrong at the time, yeah. you know, like I simply, it wasn't as though the Sheila was screaming at me, yelling at me for help, like, yeah. had that off happened, well then it would have been a different scenario, you know, yeah. um, which sometimes I don't know why she wasn't yeah. screaming, you know. She might have been worried that maybe because her barn was in there and that she might be thinking, hey, if I just yeah. go along with this, everything Yeah, you know, yeah, maybe like. Those were the only three people I seen there that yeah. day. It was just those three, you know, like. Yeah. Um, what was two white Subaru station wagons were there, yeah. so I can't say who was in the house. I don't know who was in Pat's house, but um, that was sort of sacred area, you know. Pat's house, you didn't go there. You didn't, you yeah. know. You went to his door, and that was it with Pat, you know. Um, um, so, in terms of the ID of the two, so can you know? Can you remember quite well that? The girl you saw that day and the guy? Yeah, what, yeah. I can, what did Heidi look like to your memory? Well, she, yeah, she was like, she was quite a pretty chick, like, 
for a blonde. Um, I was red, red cheeks, you know. She was would have been about. She wasn't far away from like Dave's height, you know, from the height of what Dave was. It was around about the same height, sort of thing. Um, Urban, I couldn't say because all I remember was his gold hair, like just and just looking at the floor, like with his, that thick hair, you know, it was a slim build. Um, Did he sort of just look like that kind of look? At yeah, just he was just no, he was just looking at the floor. I don't know. He must have been told just to look at the floor, you know. Don't know what he was told like. Yeah. You know, it's quite unusual that when I entered the room, I mean, if anyone enters the room, you always look at them. Mm. You know, whereas he was just straight looking at the floor from the time I went in to the time I left, which was, you know. You could, yeah. Um, I suppose if you imagine whatever's <laughs> happening in that room, your car's suddenly driven in. Yeah. Fuck, you could be anyone, so it's like you shut your fucking mouth. Yeah. Is that what it sort of seemed like? Well, yeah, it could have been, yeah, would have been, I'd say it. Yeah. Um, fuck, how does it feel, like, you know, I suppose when you when you realised, fuck, like a couple of years later and you thought back about this, I mean, the other, okay, so on when, you, when the police brought you and Jamie in after you found the body and they yeah. questioned you and at one point you told me they were even trying to pin it on you guys or something. You know? Yeah, they were asking, like, you know, where were you at this time, blah, 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 you know? Yeah. They already did their investigations and they would have rang around, you know? And yeah. But then, yeah, so we're you, not murderers. So, <laughs> so, so you started to tell them about what yeah, you'd seen? Yeah, yeah. Did they just cut you straight yeah, off? Yeah, just cut me straight off. Like, I started telling them that, hey, you fellas probably got the wrong fellas because um, I've seen these two here in this photo in here. You know, right at the beginning of this farm. And then funny how the, one of them ends up at the back of the farm dead. Um, bit of a coincidence. And then, so, in the time between then and now, have you ever tried to go to the police and... Yeah, over the years, like over the years, I've, I've tried to go into the police station here several times in Wangamata, um to bring this to the police's um, knowledge, but they don't want to know, like, no one wants to know. No one's wanted to know over the years any information about the Swedish tourists. You know, it's a closed case as far as I'm concerned. Um, Tommy Harry did it and that's that. Let's pause for a moment to think. Imagine if the New Zealand police knew from the early 90s the truth. That there was far more to this case and that that truth could be found not 73 kilometres away in some remote clearing in Thames but right here in Parakawai only 2.8 kilometres away from where Urban's body was discovered and where Darren Lindsay saw the white Subaru on the forest track and only 400 metres from where Barry Lindsay saw the couple driving with the Māori man If the police had had even a suspicion, what would that mean? What would the implications of that be today? Over the remaining episodes, you're going to hear a lot about Parakawai and the Taikato farm. Donald Turner Sr. was effectively managing the Taikato farm and had moved a small cabin 
which was referred to as the batch, to the back of the property, in an idyllic setting next to the Otahu River. And it turns out that during this time, it was a place where a number of young men used to hang out, where they were not always, but often, up to no good. Let's talk a bit about the, um, so what was your, you had a bit of a connection with, at the back of that farm there was a batch, um, which was kind of like a cabin down down the back? Yeah, over the years, um, Don stuck a, a cabin out the back um, for the boys and for, you know, all of us homeless fellas. We, <laughs> We used to stay there over the years. Um, Darren Lindsay used to live out there quite permanently. He was he was the most permanent resident. Was Darren Lindsay, um, and the rest of us would come and go, you know, from time to time. Um, but Darren was always there. Yeah. Um, at, at one point, would you say that at one point you were sort of loosely friends with David Turner and James? Yeah, Turner? yeah, yeah. I did knock around with um, David Turner there for a, a period of time. Um, yeah and I mean just just being upfront about yourself I mean you don't have a squeaky clean past yeah 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 no 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 I grew up here in this town and um, (laughs) yeah you get a couple of bumps along the way you know (laughs) Um, yeah not the squeakiest cleaner person but I'm not a bad person either so uh, yeah 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 but um, so yeah so you you knew these guys fairly well. Yeah. You sort of kicked around that property. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you, yeah, Darren Lindsay, Prakawai Kid. Yeah. A bunch of people. Um, you were telling me that um, you and Dave, sometime after this, you and Dave, he, he was wrestling with you or something in the batch. Yeah, but uh, Dave's a bit different. Like, you try and get you by surprise or something, you know, try and stab you or something or, or wrestle you or choke hold you or something, you know. Used to fancy himself as a brawler, and um, one afternoon he jumps off his bed and like trying to wrestle me, you know. And and then he's, I got him off, and he he said to me out of the blue, "Oh, there's two two dead bodies across the creek there." And I sort of thought about it. I thought, "Oh no, it's just Dave being crazy again." Um, yeah, because he's a bit unhinged, that Dave Turner. Um, yeah, and I suppose now, so that was a that was some time after you saw the Swedes there. But you still, just to be clear, you haven't connected anything at this point because no, I didn't know nothing about it. So this was Dave told me this prior to all this coming to light, you know. So it must have been there quite a, around the time that Somewhere. this happened. You know, I was right there, you know, and amongst it. Yeah, somewhere um, of that week, I'd say. Yeah, tell me about. Um, um, you know, so and, and just to be clear, all these things we'll talk about now—they yeah. happened around this time. But yeah. you didn't know anything about the Swedes. Nah. But tell me about Dave picks you up one day, him and Ange. Yeah, Dave and Ange. Um, one day we they come and see me and pick pick me up. Um, we went up to Colville, straight to Colville, up the Thames Coast to do some job. Dave had and ripping off some pot up there, but. When we got up there, there was clearly no pot there. Um, there was like an uh, an old quarry face, like it was quite rocky. Um, so I know that cannabis doesn't grow on rock. Uh, I said to Dave, well, where's this big patch? And he says, well, the rock must have fallen over it. Well, 
I was not that stupid, but I went around to my left-hand side and Dave kept walking to the right and I got up on top of this ridge probably about 20 minutes later and as I looked down to where David walked, there's a smoke coming out of the bush fire. Like, Dave never smoked cigarettes or anything, so there's no need for him to carry a cigarette lighter. So I often think, what was he burning, you know? Like, we come all this way, he seemed to know where to stop. In the middle of the forest. In the middle of the, on the middle of the side of the road, like up north of Coromandel Township, out of there somewhere, um, in the direction of the Colville Commune. So he, he just knew where to stop. Um, I just thought it was really odd back at that time, you know, like. And so this was some time after, because I suppose we need to be clear that when you walk, when you walked in that day, picked the weed up, you've clearly caught them in the middle yeah, of something. Yeah, walked right into the middle of a and, crime and, scene. Like, and they knew who you were. Yeah. They knew yeah. you walked into that. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So when you, you know, so the, and then this thing in Colville happens a time after that at yeah. some point. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was after that point, and it's always bugged me to this day. Like, what was Dave Turner burning? You know, like it's. Um, it's and a little bit odd. And why do you think he took you up there that day? Yeah, exactly. You know, I don't think he need me to give him a hand to rip some weed off. Do you think that um, might have had a plan? Yeah, might have been plan B or something, you know. Um, they might have been planning on killing you that day. Well, I don't know Dave by himself, I don't know. Just don't know. Yeah, just don't know, but it was really odd. The whole thing's really odd. Yeah. Then, when I found those Swedish tourists, um, in 1991. Just, 1991, just after that period of time, 89, 91, David Turner turned up at my um, ex-partner's place in Auckland with my sister, which, yeah, was uh, a bit scary. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Like it was for me not to say anything, like it was straight after I'd found those bodies and my sister rings me up, Jane rang me up, and it's David Turner's here, and I thought, oh, he doesn't even, 
He doesn't even know my ex-partner, so why would he go and turn up there for? I had two little kids there at the time, um, a baby and a girl, probably two years old. Yeah. Yeah, and you think it was, a, did you feel like it was a bit intimidation? Yeah, or? yeah, it was definitely intimidating, um, that there in itself. According to Darren, the only people he saw at the Taikato property that day were Heidi, Urban, Donald Turner, James Turner, and David Turner. With Heidi and Urban now dead, that leaves only one witness alive that could reveal the truth of what took place. Darren believes the day Dave took him deep into the bush near Colville, he felt something wasn't right. On arriving at the location, which was a random spot in the bush, he knew there was no marijuana plot to steal. It's an event that's deeply bothered him to this day. Did Dave Turner plan to kill Darren that day? To remove the only loose end? And what was Dave burning? Was this and Dave's appearance at Darren's sister's all part of an intimidation act to keep Darren quiet? Was their friendship the only thing that saved his life? Let's be clear about what we have at this point. We don't have Darren saying he saw the brothers kill Heidi and Urban. But at the very least, clearly they are directly involved in whatever transpired. Like I mentioned earlier, Darren Old, like Darren Lindsay, was hanging around the Parakawai area during this time. And seeing Heidi and Urban with the brothers isn't the only thing he remembers. At the back of the Taikato property was the cabin they called the Batch. It was just a single room with a couple bunks and a mattress on the floor. It's here where they would often hang out. It's important to note that the batch was only 300 metres down Parakawai Quarry Road from the entry to the forest road where Urban's body was discovered. When you were out at that batch there, uh, so there was just down, so by that batch there's a ford that gets across to to that back block but then there's also a concrete ford further down and there yeah. used to be a gate there yeah uh tell me you said you saw that gate around that time and it was smashed in or something yeah <clears throat> regarding access up to where we found where i found urban hogland there used to be a farm gate up there a normal farm gate steel one just a standard one and it had a, a chain wrapped around it, an inch chain wrapped around it twice at one end you couldn't cut through that chain um, and at this time, during this period of time, I noticed that that gate had been rammed open, like viciously rammed open by a vehicle, um, which would have caused um, some serious damage to anything ramming it. Um, so the gate was flattened open, obviously someone needing to get up into that, into that block of bush in a hurry, or desperately. Tell me about, um, so Darren Lindsay, that was Barry Lindsay's son. Yeah. And so Barry Lindsay owned all that 
So the Taipei property ran all the way back pretty much up to kind of where to Urban's body was sort of thing. Yeah. And then Barry Lindsay owned land around that property. Yeah. And his son, Darren Lindsay, he actually took residence in the bush. Yeah, yeah. Um, Pat Taikere owned the farm that we were living on and bordering where I found the body. And uh, Barry Lindsay's farm was neighbouring property um, to the north side of the farm. And Darren Lindsay used to live on the Taikato farm, he lived there for years. Um, after leaving school and, and stuff, he lived on the back of the farm for quite a period of time. Yeah. Yeah. Darren or Nikki, his girlfriend Nikki Tahuya, she was there for quite a few years too. Yeah. And um, you you said um, one day, so, oh, Willie Taikato as well, he used to run around there. Uh, uh, Willie Willie Taikato just came over there for a period of time. He was there for like it might have been a summer. Yeah, he was there. Um, he wasn't there at the time. So I spoke to Darren, and yep. he told me that he didn't steal anything out of the car. True. Yeah, yeah. So you tell me about what happened. You remember him coming down from up in the bush one day? Yeah. One afternoon, there we were sitting at the beach and um, on the edge of the river, <coughs> and Darren came down. Um. Darren and Willie Taikato came down. I'm like, oh, I'm sure Nicky might have been near that day, eh? Not too sure if Nicky Tahuya was present that day. But uh, Darren came down and he had some backpacks. They'd stolen out of a car and behind the farm and behind Taikato's farm, um, a white Subaru station wagon up there he broke into and brought some backpacks down to the farm, um, to the batch. We pulled all that stuff out, little knickknacks and camping stuff and that. Um, yeah. Yeah. And now we believe those backpacks to be the property of um, Urban and Heidi Parkinson, which we didn't know at the time. Um, so, yeah, so so as far as you're concerned, you know, Darren did say they did break in. Yeah, they, stuff broke, the they did break into the car, you and, know. And that did they... Um, say anything about, you know, the car or anything at the time? Must have, but can you remember, I guess, is the... Yeah, I couldn't remember any details really about the car, but then it was a white Spurry station wagon. Um, but, I mean, did he say about how he came across it and stuff? Like, yeah, he said it looked suspect-like. It was just a white Spurry station wagon there, you know? and Just sitting there? Just sitting there. Um, didn't say anything about any people or anything. Yeah, he didn't say anything to me about seeing anybody or that. Yeah. Um, Do you think if anything happened up in that bush there, that block, he would have known about it? Yeah. Well, Darren was there. They did call him a prackaway kid, you know, and um, on several other occasions, people um, have been frightened by Darren jumping out of the bush you know, thinking they were all alone. Next minute this guy jumps out, what do you fellas want, you know? Yeah, so. So he literally built himself a bit of a bivvy kind of. Yeah, just, yeah, hut sort of thing. And then Don put the batch out there for us, so. Yeah. yeah. Do you think people over the, why do you think people haven't come forward with this story? Yeah, I think everyone would have been too scared to come forward over the years, you know, being intimidated by these people. Um, was the only reason why um, Darren's not saying anything about this, you know, like he's intimidated. Um, 
there are a lot of other locals here that know stuff about this case, you know, and um, no one's sort of coming forward with it. Um, for this reason, yeah. At this point, it's important to note that this is Darren Old's recollection of events that he witnessed. And it's his belief that Darren Lindsay, while now referred to as just Lindsay, knows more than he's saying. As you know, in the last episode I spoke to Lindsay about him seeing the white Subaru station wagon parked near where Urban's body was found. He flatly denied to me that he ever stole anything out of the vehicle. Well, Darren Old says this is not true. Because he was there, and he personally saw the gear Lindsay and Willie Taikato brought back to the badge. I'll add here that since Darren Old revealed this to me, I've had the same story confirmed by a number of people that spoke to Lindsay at the time. They all told me the same thing. Lindsay told them he did steal items from the vehicle. And if Darren is correct, and Lindsay did steal backpacks and other camping gear, then this now means I can unequivocally say that if Randall Cornish indeed did see this same gear in the back of the car on Sunday afternoon, April 9th at Tararu Creek Road, then it simply must have driven back to Parakawai for Lindsay to steal it on the Monday prior to Tamahiti finding it. Which means someone, or some people, had to have been driving the car between the two locations during those days. Darren has told me that aside from the original police interview after finding the body, when he says they wouldn't listen, he's tried to go to the police a few times. I need to note that this is something I haven't been able to confirm, and as far as I'm aware, there were no official statements taken. So what exactly these approaches were, I can't say. But there's no doubt that Darren has a drive for the truth to finally come forth and for justice to prevail. So you've tried to go to police over the years, like three or four times. Yeah, um, yeah. Why, why is it, what's, what is it that's made you sort of have this drive to try and get the truth out there? Yeah, well, I'm getting older now, so like I'm probably only one of the only few people that know what actually happened, you know? Like, there's obviously only a handful of us that have any real good information about it, one being my hands-on eyesighting of these two Swedes was these three brothers. After Darren and Jamie discovered Urban's body just behind the Taikato property where the Turner brothers were staying, Darren says CIB, which is like New Zealand's FBI, interviewed Dave Turner. I don't know, I was under the um, belief that I know David Turner got interviewed at that time and then under my under, understanding that um, Bonnie Beats gave him an alibi um, I think she was the one that picked him up from the police station after he was being interviewed and um, then Donald Turn, um, David Turner came out of the police station to Bonnie's place and then um, progressed to get himself a passport wasn't even his and he went to America for 10 years. Oh, for that long? It was a fair period of time. Oh, so right after that time you found the body? Yeah, after he bolted, like, he left. Left the country, went to America. On a false passport? On a false passport. It wasn't even him. 
Yeah. On the passport and you went straight through, yeah. In terms of, you know, dangerous people, these guys are right up the top. Uh, yeah, the top shelf, yeah. Yeah. Are you worried about yourself and what? Well, yeah, there's always that worry, you know, there's always that degree of worry. Um, yeah. What is it that drives you to to do this now? Oh, you know, put yourself in harm's Well, yeah, well, we've got to find, try and find it, and, you know, in order to find it, well, we need some more information or, you know. Yeah. We, so it's finding, yeah, it's doing the right thing, yeah, getting yeah. her home, that's yeah, your yeah, main drive. And to try and solve what really did happen here, you know, like, yeah, obviously it, it didn't happen the way the police have said it's happened, and that's obvious. Yeah. Um, yeah. How does it make you know? You know, when you is it kind of burned in your mind seeing her with Dave coming yeah, out? Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's it's, yeah, it's etched in me. Like, um, why was I the last person to see her alive? You know, like. Maybe that's why, because you're the one that had the balls to come forward finally. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like this responsibility's now on you sort of thing, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Do you ever think about, you know, about that and think, like, what could I have done? Like, could I have done anything? Yeah, yeah, there is always that, you know, like, I should have done something back then, I should have been a bit more aware, you know? Um, yeah, I just didn't know, you know, just straight out didn't know. Um, Were you scared of those guys at that time? Like, Yeah, I, I think everyone was, you know, like, yeah. yeah. Um, Can't forget, you were only fucking 18. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, a lot of the, the people back in those days that were around that circle were dead, you know. There's only very few of us left. Um, and that's not from old age. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Did David, other than that day, he made that comment about bodies across the thing. <clears throat> Did he ever say anything to you about the Swedes that he killed them or anything like that? Nah, he hasn't. Um, he hasn't directly said anything to me. I haven't directly had anything to do with him either. So, <laughs> you know, um, I stayed away from those people like years and years ago, so a long time ago. Um, I just missed him at a funeral a couple of years ago. Yeah. Mm. The whole funeral was on edge when they turned up. Yeah. Over in Thames. Um, you didn't have anything to do with the Swedes and then just the murder? Nah, no, 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 I don't think so. That's <laughs> <laughs> my you style were... when I was 18. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So to your knowledge, those three, oh, I guess the more obvious question is, yeah. did you see David Tamahiri in your time when you were there? Yeah, no, I didn't. No, I've never seen Dum David Tamahiri before, like, I've never seen him before. Over the years I've tried to approach his lawyer on this because um, I was under the, on the believing that for years and years that Tamahiri was, was innocent and these brothers here did this, um, yeah. So you said you actually called up. Yeah, Tamahiri's I actually got lawyer. hold of Tam Tamahiri David um, Tamahiri's lawyer through the North and South magazine. There was an article in there that that named his lawyer. So I got a hold of his lawyer and had a talk to him, and then was under the belief that I was actually rawly speaking to David Tamahiri himself. In which I asked David Tamahiri, "Do you know David Turner?" And he said, "No." I said, "Well, that's a bit funny. We pair of years." 
stuck beside each other at the time of 10 yards, you'd be, able, you'd be hard to pick the difference, you know? According to Darren, at this time in 1989, David Turner and David Tamahedi both had a very similar look. Both were part Māori and both had beards and large moustaches and from a distance could look very similar. Is it possible that this entire case is built around a simple mistaken identity? Or is Tamahedi connected in some way? Ultimately, Darren is 100% sure of one thing. And that's what he saw that day when he drove onto that Taikato property. Donald Turner changing license plates on two white Subaru station wagons. James Turner standing beside Urban Hogland with his head bowed in the corner of the cabin. And a petrified Heidi Parkinen being led by the elbow out of the cabin towards the house by David Turner. This is what Darren saw. Nothing less and nothing more. He saw no other vehicles and no other people. It doesn't mean there weren't others around, but if there were, he didn't see them. Yeah, I suppose, like, you know, for you personally, like, as a man, and, you know, like, yeah. to send her home would be fucking yeah. huge. Yeah. You know, and it's kind of, you've become the key, you're the key to this whole thing. Yeah. How would that feel to you, fuck, to their family, you know, to see Yeah, her well, home? you know, this Heidi Parker, then, you know, it could be any one of our children that this has happened to, and um, even all these years later, you know, to send, to send that person home, like, you know, maybe not her mother and father might be gone now, but the, the rest of the family is still there, and just to be able to find her and to be able to put her where she belongs, you know, like clearly the visit to New Zealand was a little bit um, unfortunate, um, but yeah, being being able to find her in that and to take her home would be gold, you know, like. Yeah. What would you say to her family, you know, if you see something directly to them? Well, there's nothing really we can say on behalf of New Zealand, but we're sorry, you know, like there is, there's always a bad egg in every basket. And unfortunately they found that bad egg. Um, we're sorry for this, but yeah. um, we're trying our best at the moment to find this, to find your daughter, you know, and, and to bring her home. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, no, you're doing an amazing thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, yeah, you're my fucking hero for doing yeah, this. Yeah, You know, you're really putting yourself in harm's way. I mean, you know, the pair of us, we are, but yeah. you, you really are. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it's for the right reasons. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, and just to be clear, you're not getting paid or anything to yeah. do this. This yeah, is yeah. off your own back. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, it's awesome, Darren. Yeah, you're doing an amazing thing, man. I think we're getting very close. Yeah, we are. I think we're getting very yeah. close. I can't overstate how much respect I have for Darren for doing what he's doing. I know there are going to be those that criticise him for not doing more at the time. 
but as he said, he just didn't know, and he was a young man, and scared of these guys like everyone else. You need to understand that back in this time, and even today, these people are living in a world different to most. They are living in the upside down, where serious drugs, assault, and even murder are commonplace. There is no love lost between this world and the authorities. And as Darren and others have told me, they have little respect or trust in the New Zealand police over how they've been treated throughout their lives. Darren admits he's lived a life that wasn't always above board. There have been a few bumps along the way. But he insists he's not a bad guy. And for those that might be quick to judge, put yourself in this position. Would you risk your life to come forward and break a case after 34 years? When a man has already been convicted and served the time for the crime. When the police have already told you they are not interested. Would you do that? I've learned so much during my time making this podcast. And the biggest thing has been never to judge a person by their past. What makes a person good? I speak to what you might call good witnesses, who due to their own, more often than not, irrational fears, refuse to speak publicly about sightings that could help this and other cases. Ironically, it's more often than not the bad people that have the courage to speak out even knowing the risks as they do. And all too often, they're ignored because of who they are or who they were. Despite a few bumps, today, Darren is a good guy. He's got a successful business and has left that past behind. He's standing up for justice and the truth. The truth that has been hidden from all but a handful of people for the last 34 years. And most importantly, from you, the public, and the families of the victims of this horrendous crime. And in particular, Heidi's. Because as I'm writing this in September of 2023, her remains still lay out there somewhere. And as far as I'm concerned, that's for one reason alone. No one has ever looked in the right place. A couple of days ago, we passed Queenstown. Tourists from all over are coming there. 
River rafting in a rubber boat is very popular, and there's a new thing you can do. You tie a rubber band around your feet, and then you throw yourself out from a 30 meter bridge. Time flies too fast here, and is coming close for us to be leaving for home. We are looking forward to some things though. We've been living in a tent since Christmas. I can't even remember what it feels like to sleep in a bed. Urba. Guilt is a Brevity Studios production. Written, produced and narrated by me, Ryan Wolf. All opinions expressed in this podcast are exactly that. Opinions. And are not a statement of fact by the podcast itself. All persons named are presumed innocent, unless proven otherwise, in a court of law. Voice acting in this episode, Jakum Berg, as Urban. You'll find further photos and video on my Instagram, RyanWolfNZ, and I highly recommend you join the discussion with thousands of other Guilt listeners on Facebook at the Guilt Podcast Discussion Group. Guilt is a 100% independent production. We've never received a single dollar in taxpayer funding, and you can support us to continue to make great content, plus get ad-free listening, bonus episodes, and early release by becoming a Brevity Plus subscriber on Apple or Acast Plus. You'll find the details in the show notes of every episode. This podcast was written and edited without the use of AI. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. 
Visit ebay.com for terms.